Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Josh Evans. And I'm Brett, not an Eagle Scout Chisholm. And on today's episode, we ensure that the Boy Scouts of America will never sponsor the Content Clearinghouse. I was just trying to talk about knots, but these knots pulled us tightly into darkness. And then a sleep-deprived Brett rants even more about flying saucers, but this time, it's backed by the credible information from the Leslie Keene book, UFOs, generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett. Hey. <laughs> How are you? I am just fantastic. That is not what I heard earlier. <laughs> I um, I was rewarded after about 27 hours of traveling because of a flight that diverted and then having to get a hotel and uh, finally getting here. I, I was rewarded after a ridiculous commute with a COVID test, which is fine. I needed to get a COVID test for, even though I'm vaccinated, I'm fully vaccinated. Uh, some trip that I'm back up for, I guess, requires the crew members to have like a immediate negative test before. So I, I don't even think there's a trip on my schedule, but just to be the backup crew, I had to get a negative COVID test. Well, so I head out to do that this evening. And then after they shoved it so far into my uh, back of my nasal passage, I thought I was taking a prostate exam. She uh, <laughs> pretty deep. It, it couldn't couldn't be deeper. I think the prostate that defies the, what I know about the human body. I think that's the part of the brain that makes your eyes water when you touch it. Right, right up in your nostrils. Yeah, that's it. Could be. Yeah. Well, she she dropped the the cotton swab on the ground oh, man <laughs> after my te- there's tears streaming down my face and there was this awkward pause and i'm like i'm gonna have to do that again huh <laughs> <laughs> oh no and right before so this competent she had asked if a student would have you know like a student nurse or something could come in and watch and i'm thinking like uh you know can you let the student do this maybe they won't drop it <laughs> they're probably less complacent than you are lady so I got a two-for-one special on the COVID test. I am negative, so I'm safe to be doing this um, Zoom podcast with you now. Perfect. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's what I was wondering, to make sure you weren't going to send me a computer virus with your breath or something through the microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but guess what, though? What? You know, you know where I'm at? Uh, nope. I am closer to Mars than uh, just about anybody, man. Uh, <laughs> are you on top of Everest or something? I am um, in Brownsville, Texas, and this is, I'm about, I'd say Beautiful 20. Beautiful prison there, by the way. <laughs> I'm about 20 minutes away from the uh, SpaceX Mars launch site in Boca Chica. Oh, cool. Which I really want to go check that out if I... Um, if I don't fly at 5 a.m. tomorrow, which it is a possibility. I'm really scared to get that early morning phone call after the last 48 hours that I've had. <laughs> you got to weigh which one of those options is better, going to check out the rocket launch pad or having to work at 5 a.m. I mean, right. It's a toss-up. Either one could be a great day. 
I, I hope I get to spend the whole day in bed, and then maybe I'll check out the uh, the Martian manned mission to Mars uh, at some point Sweet. after that. Sweet. Well, speaking of that, uh, I know you said you didn't get a chance to watch this yet, but I sent you a video of the uh, Virgin Galactic spaceship launch. It's the uh, it's their it's their ship that they take it up suspended under uh, an airplane and they drop it at like 30,000 feet and it shoots off like a missile and then rolls up to the sky and like the booster fires and it just flies just straight up out of the atmosphere. It looks like something out of sci-fi. The ship looks like something out of sci-fi too. It's like this elongated cigar tube with this big old wing on it and they blast up into... I mean, they're up past the upper atmosphere. They're into the the black of space, and they have, like, onboard video. And the craziest thing, it's just, like, how casual it's becoming to go into space. These dudes are just sitting in there wearing just a breathing mask, like a, like a pilot. They're, they're kind of, like, decked out like fighter pilots. But they're not wearing a spacesuit. They're not, like, fully sealed. They're just, like, sitting in this this crew compartment like it's a normal plane flight. And then they come back down they land at the uh, at the virgin galactic center and it's just man it really does seem like it's the future of commercial space travel it just seems so casual the way they did it it was amazing now what kind of snack options are there on this on this uh, space flight are there peanuts that uh now you get that astronaut ice cream. Oh, okay. Dippin' Dots. The, actually, which would be the worst ice cream <laughs> yeah. in space. Seriously. There's like a million of them. <laughs> That's a really good point. You know that? Yeah, there's n- there's no way they thought that advertising campaign through. Yeah, that you know, the, uh, the freeze-dried ice cream, that almost makes it uh, worth the $500,000 a ticket or whatever it's going to be because that stuff is delicious. Melts in your yeah, mouth. It's not- it's not like you can get it at the mall. <laughs> can you get it at the mall? I don't know. Are there even malls anymore? I, I, I don't know. I haven't been outside in, uh, in a while. I've just been <laughs> locked in an airplane. But good news is you're vaccinated and you got double test today. That's right. Three thumbs up. Hey, real quick. Also, I, uh, I did text you about this earlier. I want to give a shout out to Wanderly. Um, so these are our friends, Nathan and uh, Renee. They're this amazing vehicle-dwelling family. Um, and actually, I'll put a link to their travel mag in the show notes. Um, it's wanderlymagazine.com. But anyway, Nathan, we've kind of camped with these guys. We've known them for a while. Nathan writes these incredible Instagram captions. I mean, he truly has a way with words. And unfortunately, I haven't been spending much time on uh, Instagram lately. Or maybe that's a good thing. But um, you know, I've, I, I've, when I'm at home, I post a lot of stories of Mando because I feel like Mando's cuteness needs to be shared with everybody. He's um, got a heart-shaped nose, for God's sake! <laughs> exactly, so adorable. But I, besides that, I'm not. I don't really spend much time on social media, so I, I haven't really been. I'm not up to speed with all of uh, you know Wanderley's amazing stories, amazing prose. But I uh, I left a comment on one of his posts and I actually found out he's a listener of the show. And to be honest, I did not think we had listeners that weren't uh, either skydivers or wives. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought it was just 
you know, both of our wives and skydiver. That's it. And even, you know, we had a non skydiver, non wife listener, Alex, uh, but she's now a skydiver. And I know she's one of your skydiving uh, coaching tunnel students. Um, Yeah, she's great. So, Nathan, uh, I know you guys just had a baby. And you know what they say, the best time to start participating in a dangerous action sport is right after having a baby. So you better start skydiving or we're going to have to kick you off the uh, subscriber <laughs> list of the podcast. Please don't leave, Wanderly. We love you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I'd sabotage us like that, but that's the rules. Self-destructive streak. <laughs> you know, this is actually brings up a really good uh, segue into something that I wanted to mention. Um so I don't know if you guys are following our Instagram and Facebook, but Brett writes all of our captions and we have a really cool uh, system where I will create artwork based on what we talked about during the show. And then I just give it to Brett and I'm like, Hey, do with this what you will. And I never know what the post is going to be other than generally what the artwork is going to look like. And Brett always comes up with these amazing, clever, Instagram posts, things that I would never think of. And every time I see him, I'm, I'm like, Brett, you've done it again. You old dog, you. <laughs> Just like so good at writing captions, kind of like the thing that you admire so much about Wanderly, like his, his clever prose, like you definitely have that gift too. And I think that if you guys are not following our Facebook page, you should definitely check it out because it is very well executed on Brett's part. So congrats, oh. Brett. Well, thanks, Josh. I appreciate that. I I will tell you, ninety percent of those captions. Great, I do. Ninety percent of those captions are on the toilet. The other ten percent, I'm getting a COVID test. So <laughs> that's the yeah, secret. Well, that's the secret sauce. You've had uh, several more than I have. The the two I've had in my life. Well, I can't wait to hear what's on your off top this week. Um. Well, I'll start off with a question, as we do. I love questions. Are you ever in Boy Scouts? Oh, no. <laughs> no? No Boy Scouts for you? <laughs> no, I said, oh, no. Because I, <laughs> because I was in Boy Scouts, and um, let's see, it's, it's, I have one of the most challenging moments of my life is, uh, is a Boy Scout memory, and I don't even think I'm talking about being molested by the Boy Scouts. I think I repressed <laughs> no. those memories. Um, this was a Pinewood Derby memory. So it was arguably worse. Oh, yes. Than the molestation. Well, yeah, I think that's probably the worst thing that's ever happened to a Boy Scout, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> I used to make the joke. Oh, God. Of course I have condoms. I was a Boy Scout. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, no, it's because the motto is be prepared. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, this isn't really about Boy Scouts, but this is about something I learned in Boy Scouts. But you know what? Since you shared your Boy Scout story, did I ever tell you, uh, this has nothing to do with my off top, but did I ever tell you about the time that I got banned for life from Carlsbad Caverns? Uh, I think I've, I, I have heard this, but remind me. So uh, at Carlsbad Caverns, there are two caverns. There is the main cavern, which is just like the main cave. It's, you know, it's basically like the Disneyland cave with all the lights. It's got an elevator in it and everything. And then there's the new cave, which is, it was, when we were there, I mean, it was new. I mean, it's like 65 billion years old or whatever, but uh, 
you know, it, it had just been recently discovered and it was, there was nothing in there. It was just, you go in there, you turn your light off and your hand disappears. So we were going to take a tour of the main cave first and then do the new cave later. And since we were 13, we, uh, at one point we ended up in the elevator and, uh, the elevator had like a revolving door, like a, uh, like an airlock door and people were trying to get out and we were just holding it closed. Cause we were like <laughs> a bunch of little shitheads. And so we did this for so long that they called like the park service guys to come down there and deal with us. So they came down, they grabbed me and my two friends, Lamont and Basil. And they, uh, they like took us up through the elevator. They took us into the, the Rangers station and the guy was like, he was like totally bad copping us. And he, uh, he sits us down outside his office. He's like, you boys are in big trouble. You sit down right here. I'm going to go in the office and you better not move your butts from these seats. So we sat there for like probably an hour and a half. And we we're like, I don't know if this guy's coming back. So because we were little shitheads, we just got up and left. And we're like, oh, we'll just go on a tour of the new cave. And so we go through this entire new cave tour. It probably took like an hour. And then we come out and we're like, maybe we should go back and see what happened with the ranger. So we go and we sit back down. And then literally like five minutes after we sit back down, he comes out of the office. He was like, all right, boys, I've decided that you're good to go, but I hope you learned your lesson. And after this, you're never allowed to come back to Carl's Bad Caverns. So he, apparently he hadn't even looked out of his office once the entire time that we'd been sitting there. So he let us go with a, a tongue lashing and a permanent ban from the park for the rest of our lives. Wow. So what, what does that have to do with the Boy Scouts? You were, oh, this is when you were a Boy Scout? That's all it has to do with it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason I, I uh, um, made that joke... I actually just listened to a Sword and Scale episode recently about a um, a guy that committed a brutal murder against a... Um, I might be mixing up my stories here, actually. Never mind. You'll have to take this out <laughs> and delete this because I've, lis- I've, li- I've listened to a lot of Sword and Scale recently, but... I feel like it was a cop who had also been like a Boy Scout troop leader and all this stuff, but he had molested like hundreds of kids. And one of them, uh, you know, grew up and became an adult and ended up stabbing him to death. It is it is a wild story, but now I'm thinking of it might have been mixed up with another murder. That's what happens when you listen to too much true crime. It really starts messing with your mind. You're like a regular old white girl. Yeah, I, exactly. true crime. <laughs> Eat, pray, I love. love true crime that's the brett that's brett brain <laughs> um so the the main thing i wanted to talk about though is uh-huh. knots so like in boy scouts we did a lot of knot tying like we had okay. this uh we had this knot booth at the church fair where we would tie knots with licorice and i mean at that we actually did very little knot tying there mostly we just ate the licorice ropes but we did like i mean we had not merit badges, like so many things in Boy Scouts revolve around knots. And I was always kind of fascinated with knots. Like, uh, I still use knots today that I learned in the Boy Scouts. Like the surgeon's knot is a knot that I use all the time. The, the square knot, obviously, the right over left, left over right. Like that is always in my head. And uh, when I was a kid, not only did I play Magic the Gathering, but I also wanted to be a magician because I was super cool. 
So I used to do all these like rope escapes. Like I'd let my friends and family tie me up and then Houdini my way out of it. I did like these, this hog tie escape, did a water escape. It probably had more to do with my tenacity and lack of knowledge of my own mortality than it did my skills as an escape artist, but I was pretty good at getting out of them. So today I thought I'd run through some fascinating facts. Oh my God. It's a not little not pun for you, Brett, and I wish you love puns. I do. I like puns so, a lot. <laughs> So the the oldest recorded knots are around 9,000 years old. And there's this BBC article that said, going back even further, the remains of a man thought to be 20,000 years old was uncovered in Russia with a necklace around his throat. And although there was no string left, the beads were present and they were in the correct position. Like they basically just laid down perfectly around his neck. And they said he must have done something to secure the two ends of the twine. And presumably he knotted them, said uh, this was... Despotson, this professional rope worker, and he said that uh, mankind before the Stone Age is really the String Age. And the, the BBC article made the claim that knots are the oldest human technology. And I, you know, I never really thought about that before, but that was pretty fascinating. Oh so, my gosh, fascinating! <laughs> it doesn't get old. It does not it does, get old. It's, it's the great thing about puns. And apparently, there's like this surprising amount of scientific study on knots you know there's there's one thing that people are asking you know what's the deal with headphone cables tangling up in your pocket and i mean the obvious answer to that is use wireless headphones you ding dong but the uh the deal with that it was summed up in this bill murray quote bill murray said how to talk how to talk how to tie the strongest knot ever one put some headphones in your pocket to huh. wait one minute. So clever. That's a but, good uh, one. They, these researchers, uh, Dorian Raymer and Douglas Smith, they kind of use that as a starting point for this research into spontaneous knotting phenomenon. And they found two factors that contribute to spontaneous knots. It was length of the rope and agitation time. So essentially... The longer the cord itself and the more time it's moving in relation to itself, the more knots will form. And they found that cords under 46 centimeters are very likely to, or very unlikely to self-knot. Then every centimeter added ups the probability. Then there's uh, it very oddly plateaus around two meters. And for the average pair of headphones, which was in this in this study defined as 139 centimeters. That means the probability of a knot spontaneously forming in an enclosed space about the size of your pocket or a bag is just under 50%. So basically every time the the cords cross themselves, there's a one in two chance that a spontaneous knot is going to form. Wow, that is very interesting. I, this reminds me of that uh, Portlandia skit with um, uh, Jeff Goldblum. And they they're selling like the iPhone headphones in little glass yeah. case. They're all knotted up. Have you seen that? Those are some good. <laughs> those are some good ones. Good sketches. They're pretty clever. Yeah. So they said that uh, the uh, oh yeah, like if you had a Y shape in your headphone, it increased the chance of knotting substantially because it only had to you know only one end of the wire had to cross another to start this tumbleweed reaction so you had like double the chances of the Y uh the Y in the headphones. And yeah, there was a, another yeah there's another study 
done at MIT that looked to define the math behind the perfect knot. And they wanted to identify the physics behind what makes certain knots strong and determine what kind of geometry created the strongest knots and potential weak points. So they utilized a new technology to set, to study this. It was a rope that changed color based on the amount of pressure that's applied to it. So by feeding this color change data into Jimmy, the computer, and crunching the numbers, they determined three factors that contribute to knot strength. And this is a quote from the Smithsonian article, uh, Mathematics of a Well-Tied Knot. It said, first, knots are more stable with each additional crossing point where one length of rope cr- comes in contact with another. Second, if strands at neighboring crossing points rotate in opposite directions, it will create opposing friction and increase stability. And third, friction from strands sliding against each other in opposite directions provides the final contribution. And honestly, after reading that, I was kind of surprised that it took a scientific study to narrow those things down. Yeah. Those all seem like the most obvious things anyone who's ever tied a knot would tell you that makes a good knot. Got to cross the strings over. They got to be going opposite directions. Then you got to pull on it. <laughs> That's science for you. Yeah, sometimes you got to get some uh, true knotologists on the case. Exactly. And ologists are always right. And they're always real things. <laughs> well, but it's good said, that the Boy Scouts did something good besides touching little kids. <laughs> That's not good, Brett. <laughs> no, I mean, the knots are the good thing. Oh, yeah. I th- you said besides <laughs> touching the little kids. I thought you were lumping those into the same category. No. That's awful. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> I, I, but, you know, I, don't, I don't have memories of when I was a kid. So when I listened to this true crime episode, I really thought to myself, was I molested by a Boy Scout leader? Doubtful. I, there's Very a, doubtful. It's like a one in five chance, though. I'm well, pretty sure. everyone write into Content Clearinghouse and let us know if you have any evidence <laughs> about this. So actually, I, I couldn't let it go. I did look it up. And it was a very, very good episode. It's episode 175 of Sword and Scale. It's about Clark Fredericks, uh, 46 years um, after he was born, I think. Yeah, so he was 46 years old when he killed former Boy Scout leader and Sussex Sheriff's Officer Dennis Pegg. And uh, this is kind of going on... uh, it's kind of like an ongoing case right now, but uh, very interesting. I heard there's some controversy about the host of Sword and Scale, so I probably won't be listening as much until I sort through that. What's the controversy? Uh, I'm not sure exactly. It sounds like he's just kind of a douche. Mike Boudet is a douche. That's weird. That doesn't sound like a famous person at all. <laughs> still, it's still like a show. I mean, hey, yeah, we're, it's a great show. We're we're. We're probably doucheologists, so. (laughs) Maybe you, bro. I'm no expert. I'm just an amateur. (laughs) Well, Brett. Yeah. Whether or not, with a K, you find Tangle Strings (laughs) as fascinating as I do, I definitely just told you some stuff about it. Well, thank you for... uh, (laughs) uh, Trying to untie my mind from that dark place I kept returning to. Man, you were really you were really hooked on this. Maybe you <laughs> should get some counseling when we're done tonight. I'd rather learn how to tie it the the perfect square knot. Right over left, left over right. There's okay. a formula to it. That makes Easy. sense. 
So what's on yeah. your content circuit besides this uh, <laughs> listen to this douchebag? <laughs> so I actually am very excited to talk about this content circuit because um, it's been a bit of an ultra marathon circuit. So with all my flight delays, my cancellations, all this time spent in airports, um, where you, you know you, you have downtime, but you can't really like get out your laptop and work or. I don't know. Anyway, so that's what I tell myself that justifies my Netflix binging. Um, but have you seen Jupiter's Legacy? No, I just saw the thumbnail today and it looked interesting. It is uh, very interesting, very fun. It's. I feel like there's a certain style that's kind of coming out with these Netflix shows. It's hard to put my finger on um, like a Boy Scout leader would. But the, the other... <laughs> The other Netflix uh, movie, I actually have to look it up because I just watched it today and I'm just, I'm like so kind of worn out that I'm having trouble remembering what it was. Let's see what it is here. Uh, Army of the Dead. That's it. Oh, dude. Did you watch that? Talk about. Yeah, it's amazing. (laughs) I think it's Zack Snyder's best work ever. See, I would have said that his best work ever was uh, Dawn of the Dead. But now it's a toss-up because Army of the Dead is so good. It's it's just such an original zombie movie. Original. That's exactly what I was going to say. Such an original take and spin. Great characters. Dave Bautista and his wrinkly head. Oh, my God. You know Fantastic. who's scary is Valentine. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'll... They're all, it's a scary movie, but it's so funny and I don't mind the gore at all. Like, I feel like it's like, I don't want to say tastefully done. It's just like very, uh, stylized. Well, yeah, it's like when you couple gore with, you know, really stylized cinematography and like slow motion action scenes and then like a pink and blue color theme, like you just, (laughs) you end up with something that's not really a horror movie. Which is, you know, it's not it's not a horror movie. It's like an action film. It's an action heist film with zombies in it, and they they create a really awesome lore for the zombies. That's it's more like what you would find in a video game than what you would find in a, a normal horror film. Which Definitely. it's just a awesome take on it. Definitely. Well, I'm glad you've seen that. I was gonna. I was going to try to use my content circuit to convince you to watch that. Um, Extol its virtues. Yeah, it's... You know, it's, I did a... Uh-huh. I've been playing a little bit of threes, too, because of you. Ooh, nice. Actually, I was I playing like fives, it. but... Oh, the get out of here. So. We can't be friends. <laughs> um, so I'll continue with my ultra marathon circuit. Um, I am going to wrap up season three of Money Heist um, if, you know, I get another flight delay. But last weekend, this last weekend before I departed on this trip, we had a uh, basically a ultra private small mountain film festival at Camp V that was freaking awesome. So I know you've attended the Banff Film Festival with the crew, Ba, uh, once or maybe twice. I haven't been to Banff. I've been to some local shows, some local well, the, film festivals. The the Mountain Film Festivals that you saw locally, that was the Traveling Banff Film Festival. Uh, then yes, I yeah. have. So the three day event is in Banff, Canada, but then they you know, these big mountain film festivals will travel around 
Um, you know, so Bree and I have seen it in Denver. We've seen it in Salt Lake. I think we've seen it in Park City, uh, or I, actually, that was that was Salt Lake, uh, Sun Valley. We saw it in Sun Valley. Well, this is a similar, like these mountain film festivals are usually mountain related sports. They could be mountain culture. Um, they could be, um, you know, some, some kind of like, I don't know. There's a lot of, so, so the first night, so this is mountain film. The first night was called dirt and rock shorts. Now I'm going to put a, a link to these. I don't know if you can watch the films yet. I don't think you can. Af because the actual mountain film event is in Telluride. It's like Telluride's Banff Film Festival. It's in Telluride this upcoming weekend. The Monday after that, I think these are all going to be available to watch online. But the first night was uh, biking, running, multiple climbing stories, and of course, a really awesome wingsuit proximity base jumping video. Um, so just to give you an idea, there was a, a one about a climber, Melissa Lenev, she's she retired from indoor competition and she wanted to focus pretty much on outdoor climbing. And I'm super intrigued by these climbing films. I mean, I, I'm sure God, I can watch climbing <laughs> forever. You should definitely seek this one out then. It's called Real Rock 15 Action Direct. Um, she's basically told that a woman was not going to be able to climb this route in Germany. It's, it's the route is called Action Direct. And why would anyone make that claim about anything? Because it's just like so physically challenging. These like four or five moves, you have to like jump and catch a hole with a thing. Dino. Yeah. But anytime you tell anyone they can't do anything for any reason, all you're doing is tapping into the indomitable nature of the human spirit. Like you will always be proven wrong if it's physically possible. Yeah. Well, Melissa definitely um, stepped up to the plate there. She, I mean, she literally walked away from a career as a professional climber because she was obsessed with this one route. And she, um, she kind of turned this into her personal challenge. And this was a landmark project that took her more than six years um, of like falling in love with the process of trying to solve this, this difficult puzzle. The problem. Oh, so good. So there was also Born from Junk, which is about mountain biking, getting its start in Crested Butte. Um, Spellbound, I'm going to put a link to the trailer uh, of the, this is the wingsuit proxy uh, base video. So it's black and white footage and it's set to this poem. It is one of the absolute best base jumping films I have ever seen. Sweet. And then the, the second night of this, uh, this was actually a, True world premiere of this documentary feature length film, but the real premiere, I can't even say the name of it. I'm not allowed to talk about this because the world premiere is going to be at Mountain Film in Telluride next weekend. So this is like a pre-premiere um, and a pre after, after, <laughs> no, a pre-pre-premiere. <laughs> oh, so gotcha. um, it's it is a little bit hush hush. And the reason being Netflix acquired the rights to it and it's going to be available on the Netflix streaming service, uh, in fall, I believe. But I did hear from some of the higher up filmmakers and judges that actually attended this event at camp V that Netflix does not oh, fuck oh, around. Rubbing <laughs> so <I> elbows. <laughs> so definitely check out the links I'm going to put in the show notes. Um, you will be able to watch these, I believe, starting on Monday. 
you can screen these films online. But man, just having like an outdoor projector and watching, you know, like Brie and I already sought out going to the Traveling Vamp Film Festival uh, every year. It was like one of the highlights of our year. And seeing the mountain film, you know, Telluride's version of this, but at Camp V on an outdoor projector with a crackling fire with like, you know, influential filmmakers there just talking about the process of judging these films. Like they were true contentologists, Josh. It was an incredible experience. Where'd they go to school? Uh, well, I want to say I mean, Harvard. Obviously Harvard, right? Uh, Harvard, it's the only yeah. Place. yeah. <laughs> Wherever we got ours. I know. T- Telluride might have its own like contentology program. Satellite school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you'll have to tell me what that uh, Hush Hush project is off mic. Yeah, we'll see. I always hate it when they do that on a show, and I'm like, God, I want to know what you guys are talking about. Well, I don't want Netflix not to this get, time. I don't want Netflix to ban me from Netflix, like uh, the Carlsbad uh, Boy Scout molester banned you from Carlsbad. <laughs> uh, yes, get out that of my caverns, you young, young nubile boy. <laughs> oh God! And on that note. Oh, Why God. don't we take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll get in some nubile content. <laughs> Ooh, content. Clear it out. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. Brett, how nubile is your content? <laughs> I don't know if this uh, show is going uh, weirdly or not, but it's about to get weirder, Betty. Interesting. So, I sent you some funny alien creepypasta called They're Made Out of Meat. Turns out you had mm-hmm. already heard this or, or read this before. Now, I actually got this from the MIT.edu website of all places. I'm going to share the link to this in the show notes as well because it's a riot. But today, I have a different creepypasta to get us all warmed up for today's content piece. Now, this is called Radio Silence. And in my notes, I even made this block of text white writing with a black background just to make it more difficult for me to read and to get me in the <laughs> in the mood uh, to continue this darkness. Mood. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. 36,400,000. That is the expected number of intelligent civilizations in our galaxy, according to Drake's famous equation. For the last 78 years, we had been broadcasting everything about us, our radio, our television, our history, our greatest discoveries, to the rest of the galaxy. We had been shouting our existence at the top of our lungs to the rest of the universe, wondering if we were alone. 36 million civilizations, yet in almost a century of listening, we hadn't heard a thing. We were alone. That was until about five minutes ago. The transmission came on every transcendental multiple of hydrogen's frequency that we were listening to. Transcendental harmonics, things like hydrogen's frequency times pi, don't appear in nature, so I knew it had to be artificial. The signal pulsed on and off very quickly with incredibly uniform amplitudes. My initial reaction was that this was some sort of binary transmission. I measured 1,679 pulses in the one minute that the transmission was active. After that, the silence resumed. The numbers didn't make any sense at first. They just seemed to be a random jumble of noise. But the pulses were so perfectly uniform and on a frequency that was always so silent, they had to come from an artificial source. I looked over the transmission again, and my heart skipped a beat. 
1,679. That was the exact length of the Arcebo message sent out 40 years ago. I excitedly started arranging the bits in the original 73 by 23 rectangle. I didn't get more than halfway through before my hopes were confirmed. This was the exact same message. The numbers in binary from 1 to 10. The atomic numbers of the elements that make up life. The formulas for our DNA nucleotides. Someone had been listening to us and wanted us to know that they were there. Then it came to me. This original message was transmitted only 40 years ago. This means that life must be at most 20 light years away. A civilization within talking distance? This would revolutionize every field I have ever worked in. Astrophysics, astrobiology, astro... Wait, the signal is beeping again. This time it is slow. Deliberate even. It lasts just under five minutes, with a new bit coming in once per second. Though the computers are, of course, recording it, I start writing them down. Zero, one, zero, one, zero, one, zero, zero. I knew immediately this wasn't the same message as before. My mind races through the possibilities of what this could be. The transmission ends, having transmitted 248 bits. Surely this is too small for a meaningful message. What great message to another civilization can you possibly send with only 248 bits of information? On a computer, the only files that small would be limited to... text? Was it possible? Were they really sending a message to us in our own language? Come to think of it, it's not that out of the question. I mean, we'd been transmitting pretty much every language on Earth for the last 70 years. I began to decipher the first encoding scheme I could think of, ASCII, 01010100, that's B, 01100101E. As I finish piecing together the message, my stomach sinks like an anchor. The words before me answer everything. Be quiet or they will hear you. Oh, <laughs> that's pretty good. You're a regular old Ben Kissel. I I was into that one. So, dude, that was awesome. So, for, for uh, is this written by uh-huh. the same person who wrote "They're Made Out of Meat"? I have no idea because we never heard from them again. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, they're uh, yeah, man. That's was really... in the Boy Scouts. Every there were several points. <laughs> there were several points in there. I was like, "Oh, I wonder if it's going to be this." And then it was that. Like it's like, uh, just like the details are very good in that. Yeah, I like that. Well, this was just to get us warmed up because uh, for today's content, I will be covering a book. But this is not fiction, Josh. This is not sci-fi. I'm talking about a book written by investigative journalist Leslie Keen, who has been published nationally and internationally. And this is a book that was uh, pretty much way ahead of the curve because as the veil continues to be lifted and more and more news stories come out about the serious credibility of UFOs or I guess more properly these days UAPs, the ideas in this book are closer to being confirmed than ever before. In fact, even the government seems to be shrugging their shoulders and just saying, yeah, this is some crazy shit, people. This is happening. So if you're like me and you were into UFOs before it was cool to be into UFOs, you might have picked up this book from 2010 called UFOs, subtitled Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials. Go on the record. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure I'm allowed to play this music in the background. Copyright violation. (laughs) 
I think I get 30 seconds of fair use before I have As to... long as we're talking over it, I think <laughs> it's, right. it's, it's legit, yeah. That's right. Okay, that's enough. That's 18 seconds. We're still in the clear for uh, a few more. So have you... I, I think I've mentioned this book on the show before. Have you read this? Are you familiar with this at all? No. First, uh, I may have heard you talk about it, but really, first time is really registering as a thing in my mind. Well... Here's what it looks like. It's beautiful. It's just <laughs> glorious, everyone. I'm not even going to bother describing it. <laughs> so UFOs is a New York Times bestselling book that Michio Kaku, PhD, I'm sure I'm butchering that name, uh, and the best-selling author of Physics of the Future, he calls it a treasure trove of insightful and eye-opening information. I couldn't have said it better myself. Now, in the introduction... Uh, Leslie Keene describes working as an investigative reporter in California for a public radio station. And this was about a decade before the book was written. So sometime in the early 2000s, I think. Now, her path down this kind of uh, subject matter, it began with this extraordinary new study that came out by this former high-ranking French official Uh, actually a collection of officials, they were documenting the existence of these unidentified flying objects. And they were kind of taking the look at what kind of impact this could have on national security. So this is now known as the Cometa Report. And this is just one of those crazy things that like you can easily find if you are looking for it, but it's just not talked about. Like we just seem so distracted all the time. But this This document is also called a white paper, which is a, I don't know if you've heard this term, it's a white paper is like an informational report or guide that informs readers about a complex issue, and it presents the issuing body's conclusion or philosophy on whatever the topic it is. So this white paper declared that UFOs, solid but as yet unexplained objects in the sky, constitute a real phenomenon warranting immediate international attention. And this actually marked the first time in any country that a group of this size and stature had declared this phenomenon is legitimate and demands recognition. Is that now, I know I'm, up, I'm preaching to the, the choir here anymore? a bit. Yeah, is, I, that, is that even debated? Well, the fact, so I sent you that 60 Minutes clip um, that's very recent. The fact that that journalist is still, you know, uh, prefacing his questions with, now, I know this sounds pretty crazy. Like, there is still cultural baggage that needs to be shed on this topic. And just because you and I, I think, have, like, seen through the BS and are pretty much convinced that these things are 100% real, there are still some stories in this book that will absolutely blow your mind. And especially having, like, already being convinced that this is a real phenomenon and reading this book you will really be looking at this evidence with a totally different perspective. But for a skeptic out there, this is the perfect place to, to start, in my opinion. Man, I feel like the... I just feel like the evidence is so overwhelming right now for it, at least the, the veracity of the claim that there's something unidentified flying around that you know at least doesn't conform to our current level of technology. But I was reading just an article. It was like... A, I don't know, a Facebook link or something today. And I can't remember what the article was about, but it started off. I mean, this is like a hip young dude that works at some, you know, 
some tech outlet. And the very first line was, let me just preface this by saying, I don't believe in aliens. I was like, what? Skip. I don't even care what you're going to talk about. <laughs> how, how, could, how valid could your opinion be? Which Boy Scout leader touched you? Yeah, exactly. Ruined you. Um, yeah, well, actually, I, I do want to go back and, and talk a little bit about my UFO journey because I do feel like, you know, this is what we're in one of those pivotal moments in history where we could have learned the truth in the 1940s or the 1950s or the 1960s. I feel like we're finally on the cusp of learning the truth now without this sort of gaslighting that the government seems to like to do. All it um, took was a COVID stimulus bill. That's it. <laughs> Thanks, Rubio. So as a, <laughs> uh, as a precocious young lad, or should I say young Boy Scout, I loved Star Wars and X-Files. Just and- stop saying it all together. <laughs> okay. I'll start over. As a precocious young lad who loved Star Wars who wasn't and X-Files in the Boy Scouts. <laughs> and eating my boogers. <laughs> oh, God. Sounds like a Boy I w- Scout. <laughs> I was introduced to the idea that we may not be alone in the same way uh, anyone from my generation was. So those movies like Men in Black, um, you know, shows, um, X-Files I mentioned. Now, I can't say that the this content provided a lot of credibility to the subject matter, but it at least opened up a door of understanding this concept that there might be a, some secret government agents hiding the truth, or maybe there was some hidden alien contact, or maybe that uh, crackpot pilot uncle that we all have that said he was touched by aliens without his consent may not have been so crazy after all. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you may have just been in the Boy Scouts. <laughs> You told me to stop talking about it. You have so much. You have so much editing to do. I'm just gonna call this the Boy Scout episode instead of the UFOs episode. I told you to stop to stop saying it because I didn't want you to steal my joke. Oh, I love the Men in Black man. You gotta love that guy. All right. Um, what a segue. Now, fortunately. Josh, I have come a long way with both my critical thinking, my theory evaluating, and my booger eating. So during a I'd time like to in see my- <laughs> some evidence of the last one. <laughs> oh boy, we should always record when I'm totally sleep deprived. It's it's fun. <laughs> so during a time in my adolescence, I stopped thinking about these pointless questions that will likely never be answered because I was too busy spending my time with friends like you or diving into action sports or figuring out my own challenges and choices and blazing a trail into an aviation career. Right, but in about new booger recipes. <laughs> <laughs> Tying new knots. Learning to avoid <laughs> creepy men in the woods. <laughs> well, it was 2017, and, uh, you know, I ended up with uh, a little bit of time off of work due to something I've talked about in the past. Now, I needed to find uh, an escape, a drug and alcohol-free escape. I, I needed to find something to keep my mind busy And for some reason, I reverted back to, well, besides content, of course, I reverted to UFOs. So I think that the path was through the last podcast on the left episode of Skinwalker Ranch. And then that led me to the George Knapp book, 
uh, Skinwalker Ranch. And then that led me to seeking out any and all credible info I could find, which led me to the book UFOs by Leslie Keen. And this was right around the same time that the New York Times article published in late 2017. And in the words of Christian Bale, who played Michael Burry in the movie, The Big Short, I may be early, but I'm not wrong. (laughs) So fast forward to 2021. A year has already been filled with unprecedented and bizarre events and news and all kinds of crazy shit. So not only has several videos been declassified with pilots coming forward about, uh, but uh, the government, these are videos that the government has confirmed the legitimacy of. We're also waiting on a report from the government because the public interest has been increasing. Not as much as I would expect, but there are some politicians that you mentioned earlier. They're trying to dig a little bit deeper And in the most recent turn of events, another confirmed and unclassified video has surfaced of a spherical object flying through the air and slipping into the water with a small splash and then continuing to move underwater at a seemingly improbable speed. And there's just like no visible uh, sign of deacceleration. And that's that's the video that's kind of been added to the 60 Minutes clip that I encourage everybody to check out. It's uh that you know the way the the ships move. It reminds me so much of the Daniel Suarez book In Flux, where they have the gravity belt, which allows them to fall in any direction. Uh, using they have this, it's a gravity mirror, and uh, it allows them to fall at different weights, so they can fly along the ground at like, you know. 600 miles an hour but they're not really experiencing the g-forces of that acceleration because they fall into it the same way you would accelerate like jumping out of an airplane and then they just get up to speed and they just stay at that speed and that just like that idea of redirecting gravity seems so much like what a ship that has no exhaust plume and that can change directions on a dime it seems like it looks like what they're doing Well, we've talked about UAPtheory.com. It is very likely this is some sort of gravity engine. Yeah. Well, I I think that uh, like you were talking about your journey to being a full-on booger eater. But the... the, Can you you tie boogers into knots? That's what I want to know. Depends on length and agitation time, Brett. But the... uh, I, I just remember whenever I was younger, I lumped aliens as much as I wanted them to be true into the same category as Bigfoot, who I also wanted to be true. And it's interesting that I, I think that those things have separated now. Like uh, the concept of a UFO is not really in the realm of, you know, a cryptid or an alien or anything now. It's not like a mythical thing. I mean, there's undeniably, there are by the very definition of the term, there are UFOs or UAPs. You know, there are unidentified things flying around. And I think when people say that they don't believe in UFOs, I almost feel like they're tangling up the term UFO and aliens and they become interchangeable. And maybe they don't believe in aliens. But to, to, to say that you don't believe in UFOs is like saying that you haven't been on the internet in the last five years. 
I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's almost like you've read uh, UFOs by Leslie Keen because she makes she makes it very clear at the beginning that the you know to say you don't believe in UFOs is to not understand the issue and totally uh, misunderstand the question. Um, you know, these are not aliens we're talking about. These are not extraterrestrials. These are unidentified. Now there are unidentified objects that have totally benign ex- explanations. It could UOs, be, yes, UOs. <laughs> I mean, things, you know, and going back to Project Blue Book, these things could be a weather balloon or weather phenomenon or a light reflection, um, a bird, a Venus. The planet Venus literally has been misidentified. But the these things, you know, people might think that this is... Uh, you know, something that it isn't, report it. Now, this book is the small percentage of sightings that they have gone through every possible explanation and absolutely nothing makes sense except it is unidentified. It cannot be anything other than a physical, intelligently controlled object that can outmaneuver any of our vehicles. And if you take this instance in... Um, the, the most recent video footage, this thing that splashes underwater, they actually sent, the military sent a submarine out to go look for wreckage. Of course, none was found. But now the, these objects, you know, they're, they're not just flying, they can be USOs. So this is also a trans-medium vehicle. Water, air, space. I mean, it's probably all the same. Didn't so, the, Fravor, uh, the Fravor sighting have uh, some sort of underwater element to it? Well, by the time they saw it, it was hovering above the water. But before they saw it hovering over the water, it did look like there was an object underneath the water with like bubbling, bubbling water over the top of it. So they didn't see it enter the water. Like like they have the video footage of this other UAP flying into the water. But yeah, most likely it emerged. Not necessarily the the same thing in that case, though. It wasn't necessarily the same craft. That was. I don't think it was. I don't think it was because the uh, Fravor object was a Tic Tac and this was more like a sphere. Uh, I see. And if you pick up UFOs with Leslie Keen, you'll find out that these objects have all kinds of shapes and sizes. Now, do you work for UFOs by Leslie Keen? <laughs> no, I just like saying <laughs> UFOs by Leslie King. So uh, if her name does sound uh, somewhat familiar... Besides me just saying it over and over, she did co-author that article that I mentioned, December 2017. New York Times dropped the bombshell that the U.S. Department of Defense had spent $22.5 million on a secret program titled the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, also called ATIP. And she's also had a hand in the incredible Netflix original documentary series, Surviving Death, which I have also mentioned on the show. It does not talk about UFOs, but it's really interesting. So definitely check that out too. But back to the book. So it's broken up into three parts. Part one is the objects of unknown origin. Part two is in the line of duty. And part three, a call to action. So after the Cometa report, Keen realized there was way too much credible material to cram into just like a news article. And to properly explore the subject matter, she wanted to uh, write a book. Now, I... I do think that the bread and butter of this book are the stories of the UFO encounters, but these aren't just ramblings of a farmer 
And, you know, I don't want to uh, cause any offense to our uh, listeners that might be agricultural agriculturologists. <laughs> but <laughs> I, a real thing. But I know for a fact, uh, for sure, there's many credible farmers with many credible UFO sightings. But a single witness who has no aviation experience is not really as reliable as, say, a team of fighter pilots or hundreds of witnesses spread out over hundreds of miles that don't know each other but can all corroborate the same sighting. That's the and ultimate s- data set. Absolutely. And some of these stories, you know, s- some UFO nerds might be familiar with, like the UAP wave over Belgium. So this section was written by the former head of operations of the Belgian Air Staff, retired Major General Wilfred de Brouwer. Now, he writes about the 143 sightings reported by at least 250 people describing extraordinary UAP activity. This chapter is, like a lot of them, complete with drawings, sketches, and details that act just as an appetizer to a very compelling book. Or maybe you've heard of the Rendlesham Forest incident. This was also covered on the last podcast on the left. It was about Christmas time in 1980 near Rendlesham Forest in Suffolk, England. And you'll get to hear firsthand from retired Sergeant James Penniston and retired Colonel Charles Holt, both from the U.S. Air Force. And do you realize, Josh, that they approached a landed craft nine feet long, about 6.5 feet high, and they actually made physical contact with this thing? Oh, and to listeners out there, Josh is nodding with a grin on his face. (laughs) I, I do remember that, yeah. And they also saw markings on the craft and later transcribed those markings into a notebook. This was truly a close encounter that is right up until the craft lifted off the ground without any noise or air disturbance, maneuvered through the trees, and then suddenly shot off at an incredible rate of speed, literally in the blink of an eye. And in his logbook, logbook about the incident, he uh, he still has it. He wrote, Speed Impossible. <laughs> Of course, other personnel witnessed the takeoff. That's right. Uh, So maybe you heard about the incursion at O'Hare Airport in 2006. It was November 7th. don't know this one. So uh, November 7th, it was a disc-shaped object. It hovered over the United Airlines terminal for uh, five minutes for sure. It might be five to 15 minutes. And then it went shooting up through the clouds. Now, what's notable about this one is that this is some very tangible evidence uh, about these being physical objects because the UAP uh, punched a perfectly round hole in the cloud bank. There was this, uh, you know, solid layer of clouds that blanketed O'Hare at about 1,900 feet off the ground. And when this thing went through it, it left a circle uh, indentation, a hole, and people could see the blue sky through the hole. How fast would you have to be moving to do that? Well, it might have just evaporated uh, the condensation. If it's like maybe the metal is like extremely hot from its like gravity engine or maybe yeah, if there's some radioactivity, it might that water might have just like been like, um, you know, taken out or dispersed somehow. That's crazy. So if you're ever at O'Hare... Near gate C-17, look out for the flying discs. So uh, in this story, I really like this story. Um, 
the book has a transcript of a conversation between a United supervisor and the air traffic control uh, tower personnel. Now, the FAA released these tapes for Leslie Keene to listen to. Uh, There's a lot of laughter uh, and a promise that the person reporting the disc flying and hovering in the air, they're not high and they haven't been drinking. (laughs) And, you know, that unfortunately just reveals what kind of accusations or assumptions might just be made if you report seeing something above an airport that could seriously affect uh, safety. Now, yeah, haven't they haven't uh-huh. they changed the um, like the military protocol for reporting these things now? Well, the Navy has, and that's all been kind of part of this, uh, you know, the slow disclosure movement that we seem to be experiencing. Just a month or so out from getting the big uh, the big data dump on. But the government knows. I mean, I don't want to hype it too much because I kind of doubt that the uh, giant bureaucratic institution that has been lying to us about this for decades is all of a sudden going to reveal everything they know. Oh, but Brett, I, Brett, I, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so mistrustful of authority after my time at the Boy Scouts. <laughs> Uh, what i'm most afraid of with the big reveal is that it's going to be what we already get which is so many people in authority saying yes it's a real thing do we know what it is nope and i feel like if that is what we get it's going to be the world's most disappointing reveal that ufos are real because i feel like that will leave us just exactly right where we are now Yeah, uh, I mean, this is why, you know, my perspective on all this is that I just hope that it helps to shed some of the cultural baggage and it legitimizes it as like, you know, we can collect more accurate information. We can collect data. Pilots can report things without fear of repercussions. But I hope that it at least makes uh, the general uh, public, just like the everyday person, just say, hey, maybe I'll look at these other stories in the past that were maybe from some pretty credible sources, even if it was a crackpot uncle farmer, an agriculturologist. You know, picking up this UFOs book, these stories are unbelievable. And I I don't want to give too much away here, but there were a few occurrences which I was not familiar with at all before I picked up this book. And I was and I was coming in as, you know, a bit of a UFO nerd before reading this. But um, I'm excited to tell you about these. So, Josh, you know, the military loves shooting things. I've heard that. (laughs) Tell me, do you think military pilots have ever shot at UFOs? Of course not. Actually, I've heard once that they fired a missile at Jupiter because they thought it was a, a UFO. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Oh man, that's bad. Uh, that's our that's the tip of There's the spear. No telling where that thing is coming down. <laughs> Just fired it up at like a seventy-two degree angle. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to Google that. I haven't heard that. Well. <clears throat> Thanks to UFOs and Leslie King, 
I learned that the shocking answer to my rhetorical question is <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, oh, that is shocking. I didn't see that coming. So uh, Leslie King actually met and spent a few days with two pilots who have both engaged in lengthy dogfights with targeted UFOs. One of them was retired Iranian General Parviv Jafari. He was a major in the Iranian Air Force in 1976 when he was ordered by Air Force Command to take his Phantom F-42 jet and approach a luminous UFO observed over Tehran. And I've actually uh, flown over Iran. I It was when I was flying cargo, we had to go through this whole process of calling Tehran air defense before getting there. They're very serious about their uh, air defense. But uh, <laughs> several times during a wild cat and mouse chase, he and his backseat navigator attempted to launch a Sidewinder missile at additional smaller objects heading their way, but at the moment of fire, their equipment would inexplicably shut down, and then it would return to normal only when their jet moved away from the object. So the well, main object... EMP blast. Or something. Who knows what it was. Uh, the main object had been pursued by a second Air Force jet. It was recorded on cockpit radar... It was observed from the ground by a general and experienced air navigation crews. So, like a lot of these stories, a lot of uh, corroboration from multiple sources and multiple types of uh, information sourcing. So, the second similar event occurred four years later in 1980 over an airbase in Peru. This was uh, then Lieutenant Oscar Santa Maria Huertes was ordered to intercept what was a, at first believed to be an aerial spying device. So it was a balloon-like object. He fired at it, and then he barraged it with machine gun shells. Oh, no. And they had no effect. So he realized pretty quickly that this was something something else. Jupiter. And <laughs> so three different times he locked onto the object to fire when it was stationary, each time at the last instant, it shot straight upwards. Well, this UFO, sound like Jupiter at all. <laughs> it doesn't. does not look right. This UFO was witnessed in broad daylight by over a thousand soldiers and staff at the La Jolla military base. So my biggest takeaway from this section was that although intimidation maneuvers have been confirmed according to the Cometa report, France has assured the readers of this thing that UFOs have demonstrated no hostile acts to date. Keep your fingers it's crossed that continues. Yeah. yeah. They do not have that in common with the Boy Scout leaders of America. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> so, Josh, if you're listening yes. for a book that will help you kill some time while we wait for the supposed bombshell of UAP info to drop next month. This is my recommendation. It's got stories. It's got facts. It's got dates. It's got names. It has drawings. Even it has pictures. It does not have the X-Files theme, but we can start that off where oh, we, <laughs> yeah, I think we got a, an extra 12 seconds that we can run it. So you'll have to play the X-Files theme for yourself, but this really is an incredible treasure trove of information. It is truly a serious look at what used to be a not-so-serious subject, and the author has really done her due diligence. The time to wake up on this matter is yesterday, because these things are real, physical objects in our skies. They're intelligently controlled, 
They outmaneuver the best military technology on the planet, and they don't just move through the skies, they move through our airspace and even our oceans with impunity. We are lucky they don't seem hostile, but maybe it's because they watched the movie you just recommended, Kilo 2 Bravo, and they uh, just kind of figure we're hostile enough to ourselves for the both of us. Definitely don't want to land here because this planet is 90% (laughs) landmines. (laughs) Check it out. UFOs. Ah, that sounds awesome. Um, Yeah, that sounds right up my alley. And I'm surprised I've never come across this. What what, uh, year was this published? Uh, 2010. Oh, nice. Oh, man. Yeah, this sounds great. I'm definitely going to have to check this out. Um, Crazy crazy to think that it led... This movement, it led the, the, you know, bombshell New York Times article by like seven years. Yeah, that's incredible. And I think it, le- it just le- lends more credibility, since you're speaking about things with the word credible in them, um, more credibility to the fact that this stuff is actually happening. And one fear I have is based on what we've seen with... Uh, the COVID response, and then also based on an article I saw today where uh, Colorado uh, Governor Governor Polis just announced that they're going to be doing a million-dollar lottery in Colorado for every person that's been vaccinated. And uh, the, the comments on that were basically just people complaining about how, well, really anything they could think of that you shouldn't be bribing people to get vaccines. Oh, they're not bribing people enough to get vaccines. So my worries with all this just like irrational response to everything that happens is that there's going to be a big portion of the public that are mad because the government's been lying to them about stuff this whole time. And then when the government tells them that UFOs are real... They're going to be like, oh, well, now the government's just trying to distract us from some other thing that they don't want us to know about. And I don't think that it's going to have the giant overarching improvement in the problem of people accepting this that you think it will. Because I think most people are already kind of set in their ways regardless of what they hear come from the government. Well, there's got to be some segment of the population that, uh, you know, whatever, whatever cultural pressures there were that I, <clears throat> that I personally think was expertly planned by the government to make anybody complaining or, I mean, anybody talking about UFOs, you know, they wanted to just make those people look ridiculous, look Mirage silly. Men. Yeah, absolutely. Have you heard, have you heard of that documentary? Oh, I haven't. I no. I thought you were just inventing that term on the spot. I wish. You know, <laughs> it's a documentary about a guy who claims that he was. Well, I, I guess that they were the Mirage Men, but he claims that he worked in a capacity for the government of when there were UFO reports. He would go out to them and tell them, like, "Hey, that you're right. There is something going on. There's a lot more going on than than you." have have ever even imagined and so here's they like feed them like false information so then mm. when it, when they made their claims their claims had all this outlandish stuff attached to it and so the original idea that there was like whatever just a simple craft crashed in the roswell desert 
you know, if that was their claim, it would be kind of like overshadowed by all this other stuff that make the general public think that they were like crazy. And apparently this is a, this was like an actual governmental position, a way that they were kind of like combating all of these UFO reports. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, the government is not, you know, I don't think they wanted us to know um, that they weren't the top dog in the skies. And so I think that's, that's motive enough to go through this whole like misinformation campaign that lasts like 60 years or whatever. But, um, you know, I think you reach this certain point where you get the, these diminishing returns and when it's time to like actually figure out what this is, or when you're motivated enough to try to reverse engineer the technology or you're motivated just by simply not being caught in a complete web of lies that's lasted this long it's time to do some like backpedaling and win, you know, win over some, uh, some of the good graces of the public. And honestly, I think they're testing the waters. They leak out this, they leak out that. And everybody's like, Hey, I still got to pay my bills. I got a lot of, a lot going on. There's a lot of, you know, good shows on TV. I'm, I don't really give a crap, you know, podcaster, right? (laughs) It's almost like there's, you know, just not really that sort of groundbreaking cultural shift because it's almost feels like, this has been a plan to slowly leak things out a little bit at a time. It's it's almost a way a Boy Scout leader would groom <laughs> one of his oh, no. not tying students. You know, you you <laughs> just start by uh, you know asking to I don't see his rope or something like that. Jesus, Brett. <laughs> well, <laughs> on that note, you guys believe in UFOs now? Uh, this sounds very interesting. I'm definitely going to check this one out. Can't wait to see the links to that you're going to share. Uh, so thank you for that, Brett. Thank you for all the disturbing Boy Scout imagery as well. And thank everyone out there in podcast land for listening to the show. We love you guys. Uh, check us out on Instagram and Facebook at the content clearing house and see some of Brett's awesome writing. It's very good. You can email us with letters, which we will read on the air at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com or contact us on Facebook or on our Discord channel, which is linked in the show notes. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. Come back next week. We're going to drop some more radical, awesome content. So it wasn't Jupiter. I just looked it up. It was Venus, and it was in World War II, and it was a pilot that was... He thought he was chasing an uh, another aircraft, and he just climbed and climbed towards Venus until his P-51 stalled out, and he lost control and crashed and died. So he crashed trying to fly to Venus. <laughs> you know, that's actually um, Venus. I I don't remember. I don't remember when this was, but um, there is um, there's a report from. Uh, it was an airline. It might have been a regional airline or I don't know. Anyway, there was a pilot that fell asleep in the cockpit. And when he woke up in his sleep-deprived state, he looked out the window. He looked out the windshield and he saw Venus. And he thought it was another aircraft flying towards him and like directly going to impact. And in his sleep-deprived state, he actually just grabbed the controls, kicked off the autopilot and like dove the airplane i think like a flight attendant got hurt in the <laughs> yeah. back it was venus oh, no. i mean that's it is not unheard of for people to mistake 
Venus for some sort of like, uh, you know, aircraft or UFO. Is Venus super bright or something? I, it can be, but I've never tried to uh, perform evasive maneuvers because I saw Venus out the window. <laughs> yeah, because you're a good pilot. <laughs> the Boy Scouts taught me well. <laughs> <laughs> why uh, 